Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Freedom International live stream. And thank you so much for everything that each of you do in whatever way and however it is, wherever you are in, in relation to our truth and freedom movement. And um, if anything resonates for, from this episode, and the past episodes please share now okay you don't have to wait till later share it now and we will be uploading this episode to different platforms amongst us and like roy from uh in the awakening podcast and hartmut from go your own path and jane also from her empowered mind podcast so and yeah, and of course it will continue on the, on the uh, Facebook and feel free. All right, use it, use it, use it, use it. Okay, so then we are very honored to have Senator Frank Lassie, and thank you so much. I know it was like an urgent call. Help us, help us. We this topic is so important, so we can't skip a moment anymore. Because as Many other topics are crucial, especially what happened in the pandemic and what's happening with all the um, vaccines and for the children's health and the women's health. Those are really focused conversations. But on the other hand, there's one other conversation that most people are not aware. And maybe there's that's even more important. But for me, everything is important and we have to live in the current moment and just really educate ourselves because when we are educated, when we know the right information, okay? Because remember, sometimes we think we're educated, but if we're getting it from the wrong information, it's just like um, I, me as a, a holistic nurse, if you have a wrong assessment a wrong diagnosis then you will be recommending the wrong things okay and if you have even an in a vested interest monetary wise then that's a whole different ball game again so if you if i want to someone to keep coming to me because i can get paid sure 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 keep coming you know you don't have to follow me you have to believe anything so that's the same thing when it comes to the climate change and senator i'll i'll give you, i'll just read a little bit about you and please lead us to this conversation so senator frank lassi served as a wisconsin state senator and in governor scott walker's administration the senate district he represented had a coal plant natural gas plant two nuclear plants biogas plant biodigesters, wind towers, now a solar plant, and many miles of Lake Michigan shoreline. Frank is an expert on energy and environmental issues. His articles have appeared in the Washington Examiner, Washington Post, Real Clear Energy. He has been a guest on TV and radio shows and has spoken to more than 15,000 people in large and small groups. He's the president of Truth in Energy and Climate, which is dedicated to exactly that, providing unbiased truth of energy and climate. So, Senator, thank you again for being here. Well, th thank you. Thank you for the invite. Um, and as you've pointed out, this is a really, really important topic that most people are, are not very well informed about. And, and they're misinformed, as Mark Twain used to say, if you read a newspaper, you're 
misinformed. And if you don't read a newspaper, you're uninformed. And we have a steady stream of misinformation when it comes to climate. Uh, they're telling us there's a crisis when, in fact, there is no crisis. Um, and the mild, uh, mild warming that we've been experiencing since about 1850 um, is beneficial. It really is beneficial, but we're being told exactly the opposite. And that's being used and why that's really important, it, you know, if that's just information. Um, but why it's really important is it's now being used to drive some really bad, harmful, expensive, unnecessary energy policy. And energy is really, we all take it for granted because we have enough and we can afford it in general. Um, but it is the basis of, of a good life that we all enjoy. If you would think just for a moment about having no energy at all and having to live in a grass hut when it gets dark, it's dark. Having to go out like 2 billion people in the world do now and forage for, for wood and dung, poo, and uh, crop waste to cook their meals and heat their, their homes. Um, every single day, and usually it's the women that do that, they spend hours every day, and then cooking over that and breathing that smoke and releasing it into the air, um, that, those two billion people's lives could be greatly Im improved with natural gas, propane um, instead of wood, and the local environments would also improve because it would take the pressure off from them having to cut down trees for wood and charcoal. Um, and we in the West are going down this path of trying to... Um, you know, get rid of our primary energy source. Uh, meanwhile, the rest of the world, the, the Asians and the Africans and the South Americans are not. And um, so even no matter what we do, it, it doesn't really matter if it was even important, but we can talk more about as this time goes on about CO2 is not the control knob of the climate as we've been told on a regular basis. And it's, thank you for that. And it's really interesting because amongst friends, and family, the, the topic could lead into separation or division of family. So instead of right, truly learning what's right, you know, we, we, we have emotionally been like uh, divided because, you know, some things that once you say anything about what the propaganda information is being imposed on us, then we think you, you know, then they said you are a, a climate, this denier and that word too is like become popular denier 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 so what do you think would be the appropriate objectives in terms of the environmental issues or concerns in relation to the economic and social development well you've asked some really good questions but i'll start with the first on talking it over with friends and family and I think it's really important that more people, and you can sign up on our website for a weekly energy and email newsletter, um, energy and climate newsletter. And I think that's important to get some education so you have some facts and to be able to talk to people in the middle, people who have joined the green religion, because that's really what it is, or the renewable religion or um, the anti-fossil fuel religion, whatever you want to call it. You're not going to chase, um, convince them of their, their faith is wrong. And they're going to argue with you and generally devolve into what you just said, oh, you're a climate denier. We don't even have to listen to you. And we get the 30 and under crowd have been and have been indoctrinated in their schools. Um, and they don't want to hear any facts that contradict what they've been told. And they've been told some um, something that's just not true. And where I, I've suggested for a long time is don't bother arguing with the, the those who are, have joined that religion unless there's people in the middle who will listen. 
um, because they can start to hear that you have some, make some sense, you have some facts on your side, and they just get angry and upset. Um, and they generally have no facts. They, they have a religion because they have no facts and can't tell you any facts. And, and that's a big part of this, but I think it's really important that we talk to more people in the middle because they decide elections. Having been a former elected official, the people in the middle in competitive races decide elections and they're voting for this. And it's, it's literally going to, I was just reading a report yesterday that did a comparison on if we're gonna do hydrogen, it seems to be the next new big kind of, I'd call it the green scam, green hydrogen. And our federal government is going to be spending $9 billion on hydrogen. They first started subsidizing hydrogen and putting it forward in 1990 with $30 million. Went a lot further back in 1990 than it does now. Um, but it, it, it talked about how we're going to see electric rates, not just double or triple, but 10 or 20 times higher than they are if we continue moving down the path that we are trying to have a full-time 24-7 electricity provided by very part-time wind and solar. They don't produce power more than 70% of the time, both of them. And, and, you, and once you understand basic facts like electricity, our electric grids, need demand, what we take off the electric grid, met by supply, what is put on it all the time, there's no storage, you start to understand why having something that's very part-time for full-time on demand doesn't really work. And, and that's where we're at right now. And we're being sold, um, it's a huge industry with a lot of misinformation, very well-paid people, very smart people who are working to obscure the facts, I, I believe on a regular basis. And then we have a propaganda media that's selling us a climate crisis hysteria. And uh, I call them climate alarmists. And the climate alarmists um, are creating alarm when there really shouldn't be any. And we should have smart, sensible uh, policies that, that benefit people. And these policies don't benefit people. And, and many times, Senator, they sell it like I'm, I'm going to speak from my own experience living in the Philippines before I came to United States. So we have like a, um, a very powerful active volcano, the Mayon volcanoes, beautiful, the most perfect volcano. And even if it erupts, we're not scared of it. In fact, we're so um, amazed with how beautiful it erupts. So we, they, we're, so we, and we have many more volcanoes. So, and plus all the falls. So in, sh in, in short, they were able to always talk to the people that we needed to tap into those to be able to really provide better electricity and better energy to, be, to the rest of the community. So it feels good and it, it sounds very good. Then when it happens, how is it that um, still many uh, countrysides in the Philippines don't have electricity or there's still so, so, so much expense you know, when households have to pay. Why do they promise one thing and then something else happens? Well, money, money and power are the kind of the underlying parts of that. I, and I do think geothermal, where it is so close to the surface, like um, I think that's Pinatubo is, is the volcano in the Philippines that you might be referring to. Um, when that lava and the, the heat of the earth, it's very hot. The, the earth, inner of the earth is about 6,000 degrees. And um, physics and the laws of thermodynamics tell us that warm things, uh, hot, hot transfers and warms cold. So the earth is giving off a little bit of heat all the time and it's coming out in the volcanoes. 
And you know, why are we promised one thing or another is, is that and given another, like you know, I've heard for over and over, and I used to hear it all the time is well, wind and solar are free. You know, wind is free, you put it up, it's free. Well, it, it sounds nice, and there's some truth to that because you don't have to put fuel in it. So you you do invest in it, and it costs money to build a wind tower or, or solar panels. And then you don't have to put fuel in them. You have to maintain them. So there's some more cost there. Uh, but the fact is, is because they're part-time, you have to have full-time power too. And one of the things I like to do to try to help regular people understand it, it doesn't work real well if you don't have kids or grandkids, but if you had a two-year-old and you have to have a babysitter to do something and you have a good babysitter and you feel comfortable and they take care of your, your child, um, and then you can get a tax-subsidized, required green babysitter. Um, and that babysitter, though, falls asleep when the wind stops blowing or the sun stop, stops shining. And you go, well, wait a minute. I have to keep my full-time babysitter because my two-year-old needs constant care uh, or it's in, in danger. So now you're paying for two. And if you add a second and a third green babysitter, they all fall asleep at the same time. And that they don't help you. So then you're paying for more. And that's the underlying rub with wind, wind and solar, and it's done in different places um, all over the world. But in the West now, we're kind of headed down this path, and they do have their place in some places. Um, but to try to replace full-time power with part-time power, all based on a false climate alarm um, or climate crisis now they're trying to tell us, is it's based on a lie, unfortunately, and it's expensive. And that's why. Why? Money. Um, our electric Prices in America should have dropped over the last two decades instead of increasing. And the reason I say that is the cost of coal and natural gas, the primary forms, and nuclear is pretty steady, about 20% of America's electric grid, have remained constant. And the cost of the fuel going into them, natural gas and coal, have dropped by more than half. But yet our electric rates went up because we kept adding free wind and solar. And that's an underlying problem. Why? Again, the money. A public utility is regulated because it's a monopoly. We, most places you have no choice over who gives you your electricity and your natural gas if you use it. And it's to their benefit to bill us more, to spend more, because they are generally regulated in most states, somewhere between 8 and 12%, but 10% is pretty regular. They get 10%. 10% of a bigger number is a bigger number. And if they're their stock company, their shareholders now own a piece of a bigger company. And um, when I started in politics, you know, now 30 years ago, um, I had close relationships with a very small utility that now is a multi-state conglomerate. But they prided themselves on very low electric rates and then on economic development. They partnered with the state and local government and businesses to grow businesses, to get more people to move in, to increase the demand for their electricity and natural gas they were providing. But now that that's gone away, just keep raising prices like they do in California and many other states and in Europe as they've made this more of a transmission, they're ahead of it. it their electric rates continue to climb and climb and climb and their electric grid is becoming very unstable. Um, so that kind of under why? Money. So you take a little bit from everyone who's buying electricity, millions and millions of people, and um, it adds up to big dollars for one entity, the utility. It's very interesting because every time we have major issues and major conversation, it's always follow the money, follow the money. And it's really true. So I'll pass it on to Roy. And thank you so much, okay, for everything that you do for being with us.
Thanks, Chris. Hi, Frank. Good morning. So you mentioned like the the wind and the solar, and I was kind of shocked to realize that they can't be recycled. I've actually saw massive sites where they were dumping the wind turbines. And even in Poland here, there's like one company that's creating solar that's recyclable. And yet they're pushing this as being the green like, I mean, that, that, that in itself is, is something that majority of people aren't aware of. Well, and that's part of that misinformation or the underlying lie or, or the just cover up is that the massive blades now, and they're two, 300 feet long, and they're made out of balsa wood so that are coming out of the Amazon jungle. So they're cutting down the wood in the jungle that we're supposed to you know, protect as greens. Um, and they have to be they have to be replaced every decade. So every 10 years, you replace all the blades. You have to put new blades on. Then they bury them because it can't be recycled because they the balsa wood is covered with fiberglass and metals. And um, so they aren't recycled. So every 10 years, they're replaced. And those towers, every 20 to 25 years, have to be torn down. And you can't rebuild on the same site. And they have a massive underground um, there's, there's tall as about a 40 or 50 story building. And you don't see that when you're out driving around, but there's tall as a 40 or 50 story building. And the, they have a huge concrete pad underneath the ground to hold them up. And because they get stressed with the wind, they have to be replaced or they become very unsafe. So that has to be countered into it. And then you have to rebuild it all. So that takes massive amounts of investment. Um, both for the wind and then the solar panels last 20 to 30 years, they have hazardous waste, they have poisons within them, they are considered by law, the national law and EPA as hazardous waste. So you're not supposed to put them in a landfill, you're supposed to do other things with them. But I, I saw a good presentation by a company that's in this business, and they said it costs about 20 times more to recycle a solar panel than it does to just buy a new one. So the, the economics of that, even if it was five times more, is unlikely to do that. So what happens in the real world is, is and we're going to start to see a wave of this from the early adopters in California as we ship them over to places like Africa and they end up in dumps there. They get crushed and then they leak that, that hazardous material into their soils, lakes, rivers and streams and it goes in the ocean. And if you really cared about Mother Earth, you'd, you'd care more about this particular issue. And the same thing with electric batteries for cars. That's the other part. It's kind of a triumvirate of wind and solar and batteries and now electric cars. And uh, they're picking up. And by, by the way, only about one and a half percent of the cars in America are electric. They sell a lot of hype and about 5% of the new car sales have are, are electric last year. Um, that's growing a little bit, but there's some real drawbacks with them. But that those batteries um, last only about a decade and they have to be disposed of. They weigh about a thousand pounds. Now, there are ways that, that I've read that are interesting. And I talked to I'm at a conference with state legislators and I talked with one from um, Puerto Rico, and they have an unstable electric grid. <laughs> Talk about, you know, their, their electric grid often, you know, goes down for hours at a time or even a day at a time. So you're without electricity. Now, that is a place that perhaps um, used uh, electric car batteries could be used. There's still power in them, just not enough to generate for your car. So you could use them in your home to back up your unstable electric grid. And if they continue doing what they're doing, all of us in America will experience unstable electric grids. And those of us who can afford it will buy backup systems or generators or a battery. And the poor people will pay higher electric rates and just have to suffer through blackouts. 
Um, but that that waste of what's going on, and especially at scale, we've we've hardly hardly scratched the surface at scale that we need to build. And right now, there are about seventy five thousand wind towers in America. Last year, they produced about nine percent of our electricity, and that varies from about two or three percent up to twenty five or thirty percent as the wind blows. And we have um, hard to nail down how many uh, solar panels there are in the America, but they provided almost 3% of electricity. And electricity is only a third of, of our energy usage, and it has to be created. It isn't primary, it's secondary. We have to burn other fuel or provide something else to create electricity, and that's something people forget. And the same thing with hydrogen they're starting to hype now. It has to be created, and that, that takes energy and cost. Um, so it isn't a primary fuel source. Um, so, so waste is definitely a major concern, and it's starting to hit the radar because it's becoming more scale, and we're going to start to see the wave of retirements of solar panels, wind, more wind towers as, as those you know, 75,000 age that we already have. And they want to put up another you know, two or 300,000 wind towers, and you have to start to wonder where, where they're all going to go. And I, I had a holiday home and they put a wind tower up. The noise, but the sound is, it's so annoying. And I believe it kills a lot of wildlife as well. So they don't say anything about that. But well, they kill millions of, they kill millions of bats and, and bats are important. And, and it's interesting for, for two reasons. One is, is there's a suction when they, they're so big and they're turning, there's a suction and they actually burst the, the inner workings of the bats ears and that's one S and the other, they get hit by the, the um, blades. And the reason the bats are attracted to them, and I hadn't really, until I did a little more research on this, is that they, they, they're turning so fast, sometimes 60 to 70 miles an hour, and they're killing insects. So those bats are swooping in to eat injured and dying insects, their natural food, and then they're getting cut up in the blades too, as well as millions of birds, particularly birds of prey and eagles and vultures and other uh, kind of high-end birds that just there aren't that many of them are, are being killed on a regular basis by the blades. And I had people in my district and when I was in the Senate in Wisconsin that, that had wind towers installed by them. And there were several that moved out of their homes, couldn't sell their homes uh, because a couple of their family members got sick. And I think it has to do with people who are like my wife who gets, um, this is unproven, just a, a hypothesis of mine, but she's real susceptible to um, to a seasickness. You're going out on a boat, she starts to get queasy, doesn't feel well. And my bet is, is she'd be very susceptible to the low frequency noise. It's very long wave noise that comes off of it that we can't hear, but it affects us. And um, they were they were sick, they gave up their, people don't give up their home and buy a different home and can't sell it unless there's something really wrong. And, and that isn't right. They, they need to be put far away from people's houses uh, when they're built, so they, you know we respect people's other people's lives. My opinion, and often in the rush to do this and the requirement to do it, we forget those safety measures. No, definitely, and with like different technology that has been created, because one, it's either bought by the powers that be, and it never kind of gets to the the masses or else they actually take them out and nobody sees anything with it. I mean, like the reality is there's cars that can run on water, but it's all about money at the end of the day. Well, it, it's money. And, you know, with those technologies, it's also the, the expense. I mean, there's a lot of things we can do, but it just costs so much more. Um, for instance, we can, and the, and the Germans did this at the end of World War II when they ran out of fuel, 
um, they, they found a process of converting um, coal into liquid petroleum and burning it in cars, in their, their trucks and, and planes and things for the war effort. Part of the reason they lost is they ran out of energy. That's why it's really important for national security and economic security, um, particularly the rise with communist China. And they're, they're primarily 60% of all of their energy is coal. And uh, they burn more than half of the eight and a half billion tons of coal used annually. And they are building more coal fleets and they don't use clean coal technology like we have here in the United States that really takes all the solids, literally all the solids out um, through the smokes, through the process. And um, it's a national security interest, but the cost, it's just like, I don't know, I think it's four or five times more costly to convert coal into uh, liquid petroleum to use in your car than it is to use oil. So some of the technologies you're talking about are are there, but it's more costly, like hydrogen is being hyped, but it's far more costly and you start to get into that. And we could talk about it if you guys are interested in because it, it is in the new green hype. Um, and once you start to know just the basic facts, you go, wow, really? We're going to spend money on this? Um, and, and I do, I, and I also respect your opinion because I do think some of those things do get hidden and put, put to the side until uh, sometime in the future. And something to think about with this whole area is I ask people first as a backdrop, just the amazing technology that we've done until about 1860, 1860, just, you know, what is that 160 years ago, the primary fuel source for everyone in the world was wood. It was wood and a little bit of coal and dung, you know, poo. And that was it. And since 1860, and in 1860, we started using kerosene, which saved the whales because um, whale oil, for people who could afford it because it was expensive, whale oil was used to uh, for lighting and for people to have read at night and to have light at night. And poor people, regular people, just couldn't afford that. So you had candles. And that, if you ever tried to read like a candlelight, you'll, you'll try it. <laughs> it's really hard. It's bad on the eyes. And, you know, that's that we went from there. And then in 1906... The Wright brothers kept a plane up in the air for just a few seconds. By World War II, 1914 to 1918, we had airplanes shooting at each other with machine guns. Just a dozen years later. In 1967, we landed people on the moon. And for five years, we went back several times. And then for 50 years, we haven't since 1972. And my point of that is, is would we want to solve technological problems we have today? with 1980 technology. And virtually all of us would say, no, that, that doesn't make sense. And if I'm wrong about the climate change issue, you know, it's possible. I don't believe so, but I, I could be. Do we want to solve 2060 problems or 2100 problems or 2200 problems with 2020 technology? Or wouldn't we want to solve 2060 problems with 2060 technology? Um, and that's sort of to your point, a little bit of a segue on what you were talking about of hiding technology until we really, and that's part of the whole green movement, is to constrict our primary energy supply of, of coal, oil, and natural gas. Until those things become super expensive or super difficult, the next wave, and maybe there isn't technology that'll do it, but affordable, we'll, we'll get a new energy source. And nuclear is a really great energy source, and it's more expensive than it should be because of regulations. The Chinese are using GE built, um, and they're building a couple nuclear power plants a year, and they're being built elsewhere, but we have uh, one that's just coming online now. They just put fuel in it in Georgia, 
the Vogel plant. It's two monstrosities. It's 2,800 megawatts. They're really big, 1,400 and 1,400. Why we build them custom every time, but it's like five years behind schedule. And I think it's $4 billion overpriced over what their estimates were. And it's still not online and it's going on. And their small nuclear reactors are, are just starting to become interesting and out there. And it's a great form of electricity and we should have more than one form of energy um, because of any of them could have some issues. And with all the kind of crazy things that happen with the climate that they're shown, I mean, uh, with the harp that they've got, I mean, I thought it was just the HAARP. I thought it was just in America, but that's in Norway as well. I know that they have it in China. Like, is that anything that you've looked at yourself to how they're manipulating the weather? Um, you mean by changing, attempting to change the weather? Yeah. Um, China did that with um, the Olympics that were just there. Um, they, because they don't use clean coal technology and they get 60% of their coal and they use more than more than four and a half billion tons of coal annually, um, they have very dirty air. I, I've seen some great pictures where it's like pea soup. It's like fog, but it's not fog. It's pollution. And they cleaned all that up to look good, to put a pretty face on the Peking Um so they or Beijing, I'm sorry, the old word Beijing, but they they're using um, they, they shut down their plants in that whole area and they studied the, the areas. And then they also did some things to seed it and make it uh, snow in the area, um, which which is you know, they're, they're working on that technology. So there's some ways to ma manipulate the weather, but it's hard for us to understand the vastness of the earth and how how tiny we truly are. And one thing that helped me understand that a little bit is in far east Russia, they, the deepest hole in the world is seven miles deep. And then it got too hot and their equipment broke down and they haven't been able to go any different, any deeper than that. But that's just a teeny little scratch because I think it's 3000 miles to the center of the earth. So that seven miles is and that's to the center. The, the earth is so vast, so huge. The weather system is so big that we can manipulate it in small areas, but to manipulate it in the big areas, it's, I, I don't believe it's really possible, at least not now, maybe a hundred years from now, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Frank. I'll pass you on to Hartmut. Hello, Senator. My pleasure talking to you. And Good morning. Um, um, I want to ask directly, do you have any knowledge concerning the CO2 certificates? Because I think this is the key here, because uh, the, the CO2 certificates, which already exists, they have a value which is more than any natural commodity on this planet. And well, that, that's, and that's a very opaque world. I, I've tried to get and get a, a larger understanding of the whole CO2 trading market. We had a CO2 exchange in America, like a stock exchange to buy credits, and uh, it, it went defunct in the United States. The Europeans have been going on longer. Private companies are buying you know, CO2 credits, uh, offset credits. Most of them are really a scam. Um, the reason is, is that, okay, we're going to, a forest is already there that we're not going to touch, so we can sell credits to say we'll never touch it. And then in California, for instance, the forest burns down and releases all that, uh, and worse, all, all of the soot and all the other particles into the atmosphere, so, so much for that credit. Um, you know, it, it, 
when you grow a forest, for instance, when it's growing, it's pulling CO2 out. And then um, after that, it releases it again. But kind of going to that question, though, is, again, follow the money. This is a huge multi-billion dollar kind of scam, really, to have an ESG is another topic you guys should dig into. ESG, environmental social governance. It's a big thing with it's woke corporations. It's leftism within corporations that none of us ever voted for. And the multinational corporations for, for you in Poland and Germany um, are in New Zealand. They are they are um, Canada. I'm sorry. They they are um, putting woke things. And one of them is the, the net zero by 2050 is one of the planks of that. And those aren't financial interests. They're not even possible in the real world, and it's wildly expensive. So how you benefit your shareholders by attempting to do the impossible with other people's money to drive up the cost of your goods that isn't even possible is really some really great questions. But you, you might want to spend some time on ESG in the future. I'd be happy to talk, come back and talk about that. Uh, Greg Wrightstone is good. There's others that we could put you in connect with, connection with as well. But that demands some attention from Freedom. Yeah, it demands because um, um, let's. Yeah, I see it from this point that uh, we have a specific tendency in a communism structure uh, concerning the, um, uh, let's say, concerning the states and how the state wants to work. And I think the CO two certificates it fits in this kind of structure perfectly. This is the only thing. Yeah. Well, it, it does. This kind of. Um kind of constriction of of our freedoms behind the scenes without anybody really knowing about it and driving up the costs. And we live in a competitive world. There's the reason why Asia and China, but now it's spreading into other countries, is making so much of what we do is we're exporting our CO2. There's a great study out of the University of Copenhagen that suggests that um, for every every ton of um, CO2 that's saved in Europe, they're really exporting 65% of it because they're just buying everything elsewhere. Or right now I'm in Southern California and in California, they import 30% of their electricity in, the, in their effort to go green. Um, but much of that electricity is actually coming from coal-fired power plants in Utah, but because it's out of state, we don't, we don't count that. So that they, they don't have CO2 output. Um, and, and to be fair to them, they're importing a, a fair amount from Washington state of electricity. And, and when you transport electricity those long ways, you lose 5 to 10% of it. So you've got to generate more of it. Um, but they're, they're buying it from the hydroelectric from Washington state and Oregon state as well. And, and the Greens there want to tear down those dams uh, to, to help the, the fish, the, the salmon that are running. So there's this underlying tension, but it, you tear down those dams, where are you going to get power? And actually, they stopped that in Washington. Uh, the utility and the, the people actually agreed to it who are agitating because there isn't any replacement. And it is, you know, zero CO2. But it, the underlying assumption, we should back up a little bit to that, is that this whole idea that a tra trace gas in a highly complicated world uh, of our weather, and it's not so, and I can give you a little bit of how it actually works. And once you start to understand a few of the basic facts, I, I don't, with a tiny bit of critical thinking, I, I think you draw the same conclusion I have, is that CO2 cannot be the control knob of the climate. It does. It is a greenhouse gas. It is a, a warming greenhouse gas. A question for you and for the audience, just for, for, before I, I reveal it to you, but what do you think is the most abundant, important 
greenhouse gas. I'll, and, I'll oh. give you some, and I'll give you some choices. Is it nitrogen, carbon dioxide, CO2, methane, or water vapor? I think it's nitrogen. CO2? Roy, do you have a guess? Well, water I, vapor. I, important is CO2, actually. It allows plants to grow, and we become greener since we've yeah. had more of it. Yeah, and that you are absolutely right. The world is, and this is by NASA, and you can even, they still have it up, which I think is great, but they haven't removed it because there's also movement by Google, uh, the major search engine to misinform us and to hide information. And many of the, the sites and this information disappear. But if you Google NASA and CO2 fertilizing the world, they have a really great article of 24 scientists who studied it and the world is 30% greener over the last 40 years because of the increase of the trace gas CO2. And worldwide crop harvest, contrary to what they tell us, because they tell us the opposite, the food, food's getting, when they're going after fertilizer now too, which is another topic, is that you know, food is short, but in fact, worldwide crop harvests and yields, the amount from each acre of land or hectare of land is grown by 30% and nearly every crop uh, food crop in the world and nearly every country. So it isn't just with better better fertilizer is part of it and better seeds are part of it. But even in places where they don't have those, crop harvests and yields are up throughout the world. So we're feeding more people. We have 8 billion people now. And in terms of both percentages and actual numbers of people, more people are living better, better fed, less poverty, higher reading rates, living longer, by every measure, humans are better off now than they were 50 or 100 years ago, and it's because of the energy we have. And then going back to Roy, you were right, it's water vapor, the, the greenhouse gas that we never hear about. And if you look at the atmosphere, it's 78% nitrogen. So that's where you get nitrogen, but nitrogen is inert. And the basis of it is nitrogen like to pair up and CO2 has three molecules in it. Water vapor has three, three molecules in it. And uh, methane um, has five molecules in it, it's CH4. And those pick up a little bit of the reflected, the sun's energy comes in and some of that gets picked up, but most of it doesn't. It hits the earth and it bounces back up in longer wave um, infrared, IR waves. And these molecules pick it up and then redistribute it. Some goes out into, state, out into space and some stays here. And then, um, it bounces around. There's 50 times more water vapor in the atmosphere, in the air, than there is CO2, 50 times. There's 20,000 parts per million in the atmosphere versus 420 for CO2 versus less than two parts per million on methane, the new bogeyman of the crazy lefties, two parts per million. So they're saying, and I try to help people understand this a little bit, and if you like to have a cocktail, uh, a good analogy of that is, is that you cocktail has a, a, an ounce of, of liquor has four, 560 drops. So you add 11 drops of an additional alcohol. Um, that's the ratio, 11 drops, 50 times more abundant. You'd have a couple of cocktails and you start to feel the effects, either happy or sad. And you blame it all on those extra 11 drops. That, that's crazy world. That, that isn't working that way. Or put it another way. You have a gallon of gas, 128 ounces. You add two ounces of, of another fuel, even jet fuel, for instance, and you drive a distance. And then you say, the whole distance I drove was because of those extra two ounces. 
That's crazy. But that's what they're telling us. And yes, CO2 is a warmer. And the people who understand this, NASA says it's 60% of the greenhouse effect. And, and that's on their websites. If you search water vapor NASA, they, they have a nice article and they tell us it's overheating the world, but it's 60%. Professor Will Happer, who is Princeton in New Jersey, a physicist, he, he has a long pedigree. He's written 200 peer-reviewed papers. He's a physicist. He's studied this in depth. And he says that water vapor and clouds together make up 95% of the greenhouse effect. And clouds are really important, and we can all experientially know this. On a hot, sunny day, the clouds come in and they block about 30% of the sun's light. It reflects back to saying, otherwise we'd have, a, we'd have temperature like, like the moon does. It's like 200 degrees during the day, and it's negative 200 degrees during the night. And we have a temperate because of water vapor and clouds. And yes, CO2 is a greenhouse gas, and it does contribute. And then, so he says it's 95%. So it's, it's somewhere between that 60 and 95%. But how does something that's literally 50 times less be the driver of it? Then for people in, in the climate alarmists, who, uh, climate alarmists who understand this, and NASA says, well, there's a feedback loop. So CO2 warms it up. And because warm air holds more water moisture, water vapor, than cold air, it's going to create a, a, a runaway greenhouse effect. And kind of what you had said at the beginning, I don't know if we were online or off, Jane, uh, about the earth heating and creating more vapor in the air and creating an ice age from that. Well, more, and for a while, for about a year, I bought that. I'm kind of like scratching my head. It didn't sound quite right, but it makes some sense. You know, it's a good argument, really. But then I realized that, you know, we have the Sahara Desert that's very hot. And we have the, the whole western half of the United States that's pretty dry. Well, just because warm air can hold more water vapor doesn't mean that it will. And factually, it doesn't. So to say that just because the Earth's a little bit warmer and our atmosphere's a little warmer, we're going to have a lot more water vapor. And we do. I think factually, we know we have a little bit more water vapor and we have a little more cloud cover. But we can't really measure the clouds because clouds do what they want to do and they're always changing. So the, the Earth's climate is always changing. We are in a warming trend since 1850. And that's happened long before CO2 could have been causing anything. And then if you look at the, and I got, I got disappeared. Talk about kind of like Nazism. Um, I got disappeared from LinkedIn. I mean, literally, I got shut out. And unlike Facebook that puts you in Facebook jail, where you can still you can creep on people and see what's going on, but they won't let you post anything, they just disappeared me. So I was telling my daughter, you know, they, they canceled me. And she's like, oh, really? And she looks me up, you're gone. <laughs> so I can't access LinkedIn and they know my IP address. So even if, if I catch an article or a person I want to go, you know, they, they tell me I'm, I'm locked out, you know. And the reason is, is I posted something and I posted your original guest, Greg Wrightstone, um, also had posted it. And that's what got him kicked off. Otherwise, I had no idea why. But it, it's a just a graph of the last 600 million years and the temperature goes up and down. And the CO2 goes up and down, and there's no relationship. Well, wait a minute. It's been both hotter and colder with far more CO2 and far less CO2, both hotter and colder, and there's no relationship. And you go, okay, well, that, that, that was what I posted, and that got me disappeared from LinkedIn, um, you know, one of, the, one of these controlling information deals, um, which is sad. You know, this is conspiracy theory. It's real. I mean, it's, it's not – they are in a conspiracy theory because – um, yeah, that's the other, other part of this. It's an, it's just an interesting thing we're all dealing with here. 
An interesting thing is concerning CO2, I think water vapor is nothing what, what is produced by a human being. So uh, there is no possibility to pay taxes on water vapor, but on CO2. Well, because we would... if, if we would say, if we would say um, we pay taxes on oxygen, then everyone would say, hey, the government is blackmailing us. But if right. we say um, we have to pay taxes for CO2, every, the most people say, okay, that's fine. <laughs> Sorry. Well, and we've been acclimated. And, and to your point, I think it's very hard to make people afraid of water vapor. And we can't control water vapor. And it's so voluminous. I mean, and I didn't really, I didn't know until only a few years ago that burning a gallon of gas creates about 1.6 gallons of water. And I noticed when I was a kid, water, water dripping out of the tailpipe of my parents' car. And I was, I thought it was so, so weird. But that's what happens. And that also is, you know, one of those kind of conspiracy theories that I don't think is real is people wonder about the contrails that the big jets leave when they when they take off the military jets and you see that white line across the sky. Well, they're burning a huge amount of jet fuel and they're producing a huge amount of water vapor, which they're just leaving a cloud behind themselves. Um, you know, they may or may not put other things in it, but that's just the fact of reality is when you burn a lot of jet fuel, you create a lot of water vapor. Um, and water vapor, we're a water planet. 70% of the earth is water. It's the oceans and the fresh water. And yeah, you can't frighten people on that. Now on CO2, we're carbon-based beings. I mean, sometimes I open a speech with that, you know, hello, fellow carbon-based beings. We're about 18% carbon. And right now being an ex-politician, I'm probably exhaling, you know, 50 or 60,000 parts per million as I'm talking talking to you. I pull a lot of this hot air, as you're seeing. Um, but normal people on regular uh, exhale about 20,000 parts per million of CO2. 20,000 parts per million uh, are sub people on submarines who will go down for three months to a year, breathe 3,000 to 5,000 parts per million of CO2, and sometimes up to 30 or 40,000 parts per million for an hour or two or three when they're underwater there. And um, they, there's no harmful effect for that. Right now in our room where I'm at, it's probably a thousand parts per million uh, classrooms and businesses and any meeting space with a lot of people since we're all exhaling this is, you know, much higher. So it's, you know, this whole idea that it's this evil molecule is a bunch of bunk. And, um, you know, and I also like the joke is my grandmother always said, you know, talk to your plants. And I thought it was kind of a joke and you give your plants good feelings. That's one part of it. But the other part is, is if you get up close and are talking to your plant, you're giving it a whole bunch of something that really needs CO2. So if you do spend a little time talking to your plants, you're giving it some really necessary plant food. Yeah. And um, what is the situation concerning the, uh, yeah, let's say the, the energy change in the USA? Because here in Germany, for example, we have here the Green Party, which is in power, which only 10% have voted for them. But... They are destroying our economy at the moment. And um, the problem with coalition governments, yeah. the multi-party system and the coalition government. Yeah, the, the tail gets to wag the dog. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's uh, kind of like the CO2 tail wagging the, the water vapor dog in the yes. whole idea of the, <laughs> yes. the climate. And we are going to have many um, wind, car, uh, wind energy plants. Yeah, they want to... In Germany, we I, I saw a news right now that in January we don't have coal anymore because we were well, not used to use coal anymore. Yeah, see that because that's we not... worked with LNG and uh, yeah. with gas, natural gas, 
and now the coal will go the the cellars of the coals in the huge plants will go empty well i i find that hard to believe and i i do study this and i also am am connected a little bit with the german system and um they aren't either you guys aren't going to have enough electricity and you'll be very very short or they're lying to you right now just to placate the greens um, what I found instructive that between Europe and America on coal is that literally more, a dozen or two dozen coal plants have been taken out of mothball in Europe and brought back online that have been offline for six months or a year or several years. In the United States, when we take a coal plant offline, we destroy it. Uh, we destroy it. We, we don't mothball it for future use. And this is one of the initiatives I've been working on is to keep keep them for economic and energy security and national security. We might need them someday because nuclear power and coal power are the only ones that you can store on site. Natural gas has to be delivered all the time and it's not easy to store. So the, the benefit of coal is you can put six months of coal in a big pile out back and it's there when you need it. Um, or you can turn it off and then fire it up and have the coal stored for when you need it. If there's an interruption of natural gas supplies you're experiencing now in Germany because of Russia and Ukraine. And that you brought these coal plants back on across Europe. And there, and there are even reports out of Poland and Eastern Europe where they're, they're going to burn coal in their fireplaces. And people are actually going out and harvesting coal themselves because it's close to the surface there. And... Um, I, I have a hard time believing they're actually going to shut that coal down because they're importing and using coal. They just don't want you to know it. Um, so they're telling you something that isn't quite true just because you're, you're so short of energy uh, that you need. And LNG is coming. And that's the other part of this worldwide market is the Europeans are paying really high prices for LNG. So the Asians are switching from uh, natural gas to more coal because coal is a lot cheaper and they can't even get it because the Europeans are buying it up. And of course, the Russians are now selling the LNG that they were selling to the Europeans. They're now selling them to the Pakistanis and the Indians. They're just, they're selling them someplace else. So I mean, it's, it's a worldwide commodity and the Chinese are buying it up. They're, they're buying from all of them are up, up, up. So it's you know kind of an interesting thing we're dealing with. But the underlying problem in Germany has some of the highest electric rates in the world, and they did prior to the Russian invasion of Ukraine last February, is that they're, um, as you switch and you add more of that wind and solar, kind of like that story, another way I help people understand it is you, you have a family with a couple of gas cars, and they talk you into buying a, a wind car that only works when the wind is blowing, just like a wind tower only produces electricity when the wind is blowing. And you think it's a great idea because you don't have to put gas in it. And then you find out that you um, can't take it to work because the wind stops blowing in the afternoon. You can't take it to, you know, you can't run around town with it because the wind stops blowing. So now you're paying for three cars. And then you buy a solar car that does the same thing. And what people don't understand about solar is that it produces little or no energy. And that's how powerful the sun is in terms of our climate, is that they produce little or no energy the first hour and the last hour of the day because the sun just isn't high enough in the sky with an angle coming down um, on it. So you, you buy a solar car and you find out the same thing. You can't take it to work if you work after dark or within an hour of dark. So now you're paying for your two gas cars that you need to reliable and you're paying for four cars. And that's why your prices keep going up. And the answer that you're doing in Germany and what they're trying to do here in America is, well, we're just going to add more and more wind and solar cars or more and more green babysitters. 
And the problem is, is that when the sun doesn't shine, none of them work. And when the wind doesn't blow, none of them work. And what you're experiencing in Europe right now is, I think right, even right now you're in the midst of a wind drought, is sometimes the wind just takes a break for a week or two or three. It just isn't blowing. And so, well, there's batteries, their answer. Well, the best batteries in the world can only store power for output for about four or five hours. And you can't store power for six months, which you need, like here where I'm at in Southern California, where they have so much rooftop solar and the, the temperatures are mild and very sunny in the winter. They produce too much, too much solar power. Two years ago, they were paying Arizona to take their excess electricity, paying them to take electricity. And the Arizonans said, we don't want to take your, your electricity you're paying us to take because it screws up our electric grid because you have to then turn down all your other, your other reliable sources because you can't overload your electric grid with too much power either or you blow it up. So they, you, know, and you had last year, even though you added more wind capacity across all of Europe and they don't understand or know why, they got the wind, wind uh, production was 20% less than the year before. So there was a wind drought all of last year, 2021. Just wind production was down across the board everywhere. So that's the other aspect of this relying on breezes and sunshine for you know, any type of large scale electricity. You know, and also the other part of it is, is that you have to have the natural gas and coal plants ready to ramp up for when the sun sets or the wind stops blowing or blows less. So you can't turn them off and on you have to keep them running all the time. So you are paying for them, paying for the people in them. You're burning fuel, but not making electricity. And then that per unit cost has to go up for when they do make electricity and sell it onto the grid because, it, it, because they got to get paid. And they also don't reduce the CO2, which is the stated goal, very much because you're running it anyway. And it also is inefficient, just like driving a car in stop-and-go traffic in a city uses a lot more fuel than driving it on the highway. So it's the same thing. By turning up and down that, that coal or natural gas plant all the time to match the up and down of wind and solar, because even solar is variable during the day. Clouds come over. They, they go down in production. It rains. It snows. So you have to have that on all the time. And that doesn't even re reduce CO2 very much, if at all. And um, and uh, interesting thing is uh, to mention also concerning the car industry. Uh, it's all about money again because in an electric car, I only have two hundred parts. That's it. In an usual gas-driven car, engine car, I have thirteen thousand parts. So I have much more workers, I have much more suppliers, and I have much more to pay. And then if I have only two hundred uh, uh, parts in the car. I have a huge profit, but uh, it's so weird. For example, everyone thinks about hydrogen, for example. Hydrogen, if I want to produce, let's say, uh, 330 watt of hydrogen, then I need 1000 watt of, of uh, usual energy because I need 1000 watt in order to produce 330 watt of hydrogen. So it makes no sense at all. Well, you brought up two two issues there. It's interesting. We we can talk about. I'll talk about both. One is 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 cars and electric cars. And first off, what's interesting to know is our trains run with an electric engine powered by a diesel generator. So they're they're running because an electric engine is more efficient 
and it's more effective and it's simpler. It has less parts and it doesn't break down and it's direct power. You don't need a transmission. So it spins the wheels directly and where you have to, a gas engine has to be converted through a transmission to make it all work. So you have that extra part parts going on there. So that makes sense where a hybrid car, I think, makes a heck of a lot more sense. But that isn't what the Greens want because you know, we've got to end fossil fuels. But a, a hybrid car would make a lot more sense with a smaller engine and an engine to provide electricity to the battery for the drivetrain. Makes a heck of a lot of sense. But the batteries are really expensive and the batteries are going to get to be more expensive. But the other part of it is, is at least here in the United States and anywhere else, a lot of teenagers, a lot of college students, a lot of poorer people are buying and driving two, three, four, five thousand dollar cars. And they last for decades. And yes, you have to repair them from time to time and other things. But the three thousand or five thousand dollar used car is going to disappear if we go to an all electric car system. Because after that 10 years or 100,000 miles, your battery is shot and they can be shot longer and some last longer and some last less. You have to pay 10 to $20,000 for a new battery. So, you know, we, we sold a 15 year old SUV, a big car for like $12,000. Well, there won't be that anymore because I'd have to put a 12,000 or $15,000 battery into it to sell it for the same price or, or then I'd have to ask for a lot more. So that's another whole part of this to get people to not drive and to force us, make it for the non-wealthy to have to use public transportation or something else. And not to mention all the people who live in rural areas. I mean, it doesn't work. Electric vehicles really don't work, you know, kind of conceptually very well for someone who lives in a rural area and has to drive you know, a bunch of miles to get into the city. Um, so that was one part. And then the second one, what did, oh, hydrogen. We should have a, a hydrogen, a little bit of a talk. Because what a scam hydrogen is once you understand a little bit of the, the, the facts. First off, there is hydrogen and it's being used now in industrial processes. It's in the world scope of things, not a real lot. I don't know, it's a few million tons. Um, you know, when you consider that we use 36 billion barrels of oil, eight and a half billion tons of coal, which translates into 41 billion barrels of oil. So that eight and a half billion tons of coal equals 41 billion barrels of oil. We use 36 billion barrels of oil and we use 135 trillion cubic feet of natural gas. I mean, huge gargantuan amounts of energy we're using and an American refrigerator uses more electricity than about 2 billion people use in a year in the world. And they want it. And I think they should have it. Um, but hydrogen, going back to that. So the simple way to do it, it's brown hydrogen. And the way they do it now is you simply heat up uh, methane, CO, CO, CH4, methane gas, natural gas, and you split it and you create CO2 with that C molecule, that carbon molecule, evil stuff. So you can't do that. You know, that's the one we, we need green hydrogen and it's cheap and effective and easy to make it that way, but that's brown hydrogen and it's bad. So green hydrogen is good. And the way you make that is you start out with nine times more water. So in order to get a gallon of, of hydrogen, you need nine gallons of water. So you can't do it in the West. And I've seen our federal government in the United States is spending $9 billion on this now. They've appropriated it. And they're wanting to, some of the Western states want to be a hydrogen hub. Well, that's not going to work because they just don't have the water supply. Even the Great Lakes, if we do this at scale and we start shipping away hundreds of millions of uh, barrels of, 
of water out of our Great Lakes. We can't do it either. You can't use ocean water because, well, you can, but you have to desalinate, uh, desalinate it first. You have to take the, the salts out of it and the chlorine out of it. Because if you use ocean water, it creates far too much chlorine. Um, and you don't, they don't know what to do with it. And lots of chlorine, concentrated chlorine is poison. So you have to desalinate ocean water first. Then you take nine times more of that cleaned water. And then you turn it into hydrogen by superheating it. <coughs> superheating it to a couple thousand degrees and electrocuting it. Well, you got to take power to do that. Where do you get that power? Well, their idea is, is that when you overproduce that solar energy or overproduce that wind energy, you'll create it with that, that power, that green power. Then after you've done that, you have to super chill it to nearly real zero. Then you need to compress it to about 30 times atmosphere. Then you have frozen liquid hydrogen, but it corrodes everything it comes in contact with. It penetrates glass because it's so small. You can't put it in plastic. You can't put it with regular metal because it makes it brittle. But you can, aluminum contains it for some weird reason. So you can have aluminum lined metal pipelines. We have none of this infrastructure. And then when you have it, it has one third as much energy as natural gas. So you need a two thirds more pipelines to, to use it. Or if you're putting it in your gas tank, you need you only get one third as much as if you had a propane car. And you use about 30% more energy than it produces in that process I just described. And none of that process on the industrial scale lends itself to, I'll fire it up in the morning when the sun shines and turn it off in the afternoon when the sun sets. Or I can do it when the wind blows and then turn it off when the wind doesn't blow. So my thought process is, is they'll probably have a hybrid system where sometimes they produce brown hydrogen from your, your natural gas plant providing all the, the energy needed, and then green hydrogen whenever they get too much of wind and solar. I don't know. So it's, it's you, once you start, those basic facts don't lend itself to make a lot of sense, and we have no infrastructure. Now, there are, out of the 2 billion cars on the road, there are 11,000 hydrogen cars. 11,000 out of 2 billion. So, <laughs> so they do exist. But it's... It's, it's unbelievable. And um, let's say it this way at the end, uh, we had in, uh, in, our, in our last conversations, we found out that in Russia, the petrol price is 80 cent. So it works. Yeah. And I passed you to Jane. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Thank you yeah. so much. Hi, Frank. Hi, we have these debates in our house all the time. And, you know, my husband is on the side of, look, there is no climate change crisis, because he'll show me a map that is from 10 years ago, you know, where they show it on the weather and it has the temperatures throughout the country and the colors. And he'll say, now look at the map today that they're showing on TV propaganda. And it the temperatures are the same, but it's lit up with bright red, making it look like there's, you know, this big, Uh, temperature increase. And I live in Montana. And I can tell you, it's a super cold, super early, lots of snow, <laughs> but they don't cover that either. And I'm glad we covered the how completely inefficient, expensive, um, bogus, these answers are that they're coming up with, including electric cars. And I had an 
an interview with someone just last week who was pointing out that, you know, we've already got a fertility problem. And if you're sitting on a large battery or surrounded by one, that it's going to cause even more fertility problems. And there's studies out showing that. Yeah, That's interesting. I don't know a lot about that, but I I do believe that. And, you know, there's, and I'm sure you've covered COVID and the whole uh, COVID jab thing, but there's a lot going on in that area that, that is really, bad for humanity. And just a quick segue away from that before, I like to always do my research on important questions. And before Google hit it, it's hidden now. But when they first started the whole, we're going to do mRNA vaccines, I'm like, what is that? I started researching it. And animals get COVID. And if you can picture a herd of 100,000 pigs getting COVID, they may not die, but if they don't gain weight for a couple of weeks or a month or six weeks, and even if a few of them die, that's a big dollars are on the line. Follow the money again. And mink, there's still a market for mink, even though some hate the fur. Um, they are susceptible to uh, respiratory diseases. They're in small cages. I know this because there used to be a mink farm where, where I grew up nearby. So I went there a couple of times and just see the mink. But they die easily. So they, they private industry worked real hard to come up with our mRNA vaccines for animals. And they gave up after many attempts because the animals all died after a year or two because it weakened their immune system. And yet they've, they've tried to force all of this on all of us. So, and I hope it's not true, but so sideway away from that, but that this, that's part of this kind of misinformation game and to your arguments with your husband, actually the world is warming some and it has, it's, it's gone back and, you know, they said, well, it's never been warmer. That's a lie that the, Noah, and I could show you the factually because we, we have the record, is Noah regularly adjusts their temperature records. Why you need to change the temperature records from 70 years ago? Because somehow they weren't good enough. And interestingly, they always cool the past by about a degree, and they always warm the present decade by about half a degree. A degree and a half, what we're talking about here. But but factually, because we, we have pictures and we have the raw data because people pulled it off. So we, this, this is a fact I'm telling you. So they've cooked their books. It was warmer in the 1930s than there is now. And, and we, we also know that anecdote. people know about the great dust bowl. If you go and find, look at the EPA, you look at NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's the official record keeper of temperature and rainfall. And if you look at their records, you look at the heat indexes and the things they're telling us, we have more hot days. No, we don't. We have less hot days. And the 1930s had a lot more hot days. Did, did. Actually, it's still, it's still there. They haven't erased that yet, like George Orwell in 1984. Uh, but they do tell us that it's warmer now than it was in the 1930s. We also know it was warmer in the medieval warm period from about 900 to 1300 because Vikings were living and growing barley and had milk cows and buried their dead in now what is permafrost. So they... they buried them, and then frost came, and they got frozen out about 1,300 because it got too cold. Now, Greenland's way up there by the Arctic, so if it was that warm in Greenland, um, and they've cooked the the temperature records of of Iceland. We know what Iceland had, and and they show this history, and there's there's a fair amount of it when the Vikings settled there, too. It was warm during that time period, but yet they pretend that isn't the case. We also know that they were growing... um, grapes in England during that time that you can't grow there now um, because they were competing with, and there were complaints from the French. Uh, they were mu- the, the English were muscling in on the French wine business about money. 
So about taxes, and they were trying to create some trade barriers because those darn English were growing grapes. They shouldn't grow up there anymore because the climate tolerated it. Then we know back before that, so it was warmer then. And, and that's and the climate alarmist liars want to tell us that, well, that was just isolated to that part of the world. But there are factual studies, and there's a great website that has all of that kind of studies from all over the world. It was worldwide that it was warmer in that area. And of course, there's little pockets where it's actually cooler. They think during the Roman warm period, part of the rise of Rome was that um, Greece actually was cool during the Roman warm period, which lasted from about 400 BC to 400 AD or somewhere in there, depending on, on who you know. But what facts do we have to support that? And what Frank is just saying right now, so this isn't just Frank, and, and um, I'm forgetting the name of the, the town, I want to say Lomberg, but I don't think it is. In Norway, there's receding uh, glaciers in Norway through a mountain pass that's going there. And the ice is exposing predominantly things from the Viking warm period, the, the medieval warm period, and from the Roman warm period. They're finding Roman artifacts from 2,000 years ago in the high mountains of Norway those industrious little Romans running all over the world. Um, so, but they aren't finding much from any other times. And we found Atsi the Iceman from the Swiss Alps or actually Italian Alps. They argue about which side of the border it was on, but he was by his body was frozen for 5,000 years. So if it had been exposed prior to the 5,000 years, it would have melted away. It wouldn't have been a frozen mummy. So we know for a fact it was warmer in these other times where they tell us flat out it's never been warmer. Well, they're lying to us. Flat out, that, that, that's flat out empirical lie. And you got a whole bunch of people who are well paid to obscure this and pretend as if it didn't happen. And the most famous one is Michael Mann, who's a professor of geology, by the way, not a climatologist, because some of the climate alarmists love to say, trust the science. Oh, you're not qualified to comment. Will Happer's not qualified because he's not a climatologist. Well, what Michael Mann is, but he's a geologist. But Michael Mann went and looked at, at tree rings, and he won't divulge any of the information on how he did it because he sued some other people and lost and has to pay their attorney costs in Canada, Tim Ball, because Tim Ball said he's a liar. And, um, and so he, he felt he was uh, slandered. But he wouldn't provide any of his data on how he developed what's on Wikipedia, the hockey stick that erased the Roman warm period and the medieval warm period. And, you know, prior to his inventing that, there was really good records that showed exactly what I've said. There still is. But the alarmists use that all the time and point to that. <clears throat> and in Montana, like Wisconsin, is the northern United States, and it's gone into Canada. Our growing seasons, time between first frost and last frost, is about 10 days on both sides. So about three weeks, we have a longer three-week growing season. And you can grow crops in Alberta. Canada that you couldn't grow before because it's a bit warmer up there and their growing season is a bit longer. In a real world, we'd celebrate that as a good thing for everyone. In the spinning world of climate alarmists, they say, oh, the, the allergy season and the ragweed season is longer and this is all terrible and awful. And how bad can that be? Well, well, yeah, of course it is because growing season's longer. <laughs> and your flowers grow earlier and longer. Oh, well, that's a benefit. We can't talk about that. So and kind of back to, you know, <laughs> that is all, and I, I do this on, on part of what I do is try to inform people, but I, I keep reminding people that all cold events are weather. 
and all hot events are climate. You just have right. to break your mind until the experts tell us something different because they're starting to try to do that. I think that's why they named it climate change is we may be in a cooling period that they erased, by the way, and massage from about 1940 after the hot 1930s, from about 1940 to 1980, it cooled by about three quarters of a degree. Now they've erased that because you know they had to erase the, the warmer 1930s. So, I mean, this, this stuff is built on so many lies upon lies. It's just unbelievable, but it's all about the money. I think because they weren't sending people back, to, it was kicked off by James Hansen, not even the head of the, the NASA. And he was kind of went rogue because they weren't supposed to do that, but he testified, testified before, before Congress in 1988 and kicked off the whole global warming scare. And lo and behold, the UN was on it in the following year. And they created the IPCC, uh, you know, to prove that it's man-made global warming. Not to look at anything else, but just to prove it's man-made global warming. And it's CO2 plus. Not to discover, the, the, you know, the rest of the intricacies of the really amazing planet we live on. So it's, it's why did I think he do that in NASA? They wanted money. Um, if you don't have a crisis, and we weren't sending people to the moon. So they didn't have a good justification for getting a lot of money out of the federal government. But if you have a crisis and you need to study it, well, gee, and that's also, you know, people say, well, why would all the scientists lie about this? So, well, you know, if, if I were a professor and I just had this great interest in the northern snowshoe hair because it's so cool and it changes colors to match the winter and it turns white. And if I wrote a grant proposal to study the mating habits of the snowshoe hair, it'd be probably pretty hard to get money for it. But if I wrote it in relationship to climate change and what climate change means to the snowshoe hair and the and the ecosystem that it's in, I could probably get funding for it. And then if I discovered that it didn't matter, that it would adapt if it continued to get warmer and our winters continued to get more mild, another good thing, but it's fun as a bad thing, and they adapted, I'd probably never get funded again. But if I said, you know, they won't adapt, it'll kill the foxes and the coyotes, the whole ecosystem will collapse because the snow, snowshoe hares mating habits will go down the tubes because of climate change, I'm likely to keep getting funded. That's how it works. Right. And, you know, I, I totally agree with everything you're saying. And I think we need to back up even further because there's scientists that know that the earth goes through cycles depending on where it is in the universe. And it shows that each planet warms up and cools down as it moves through certain patterns. So it's not that we don't change you know, temperature doesn't change. It does, but it's not man-made. This is something that has been happening for centuries, thousands of years. Millions so, and millions of years. Yeah, and, yeah. And on your point, what you just said, and this is factual from NASA, there's global warming on Mars. Yeah. And they have almost no atmosphere, but it's gotten warmer Yeah. the last 50 years. There's global warming, they've measured it, and Jupiter and Jupiter's moons. Okay, if it has no atmosphere, how did it warm? Hmm. And if they're warming, wouldn't it make some of the sun? And here's a little more of that critical thinking. Even here in sunny San Diego, where I am right now, they have winter and summer. What does winter and summer cause? Because our earth is round and it's tipped a little bit on its axis. And when it goes around the sun, when it's tipped in the, the northern hemisphere where we are right now, when it's tipped closer to the sun, it's summer. And when it's tipped the other way, away from the sun, when it comes on the other side of the sun, it's winter. That little bit of change in the amount of sunlight that hits our planet 
gives us the big variance between winter and summer. And even in the equator, they experience it's much more mild and much more steady, but they even experience winter and summer variance in their own weather. And climate is just weather over a long period of time. And absolutely it changes. Right now, we're, we're in an interglacial period that it's about almost 12,000 years long. They typically last 10 to 20,000 years. We should be fearing a coming ice age that will happen regardless of what we do. And maybe if CO2, like the claim, is really the control knob, maybe we could put it all off and it's a good idea. We should be ramping it all up. But that, I mean, that's all another thing. But then we have 10, you know, 100,000 years. And this has gone on for the last 700,000 years. ice cores and the frozen ice that's lasted all this time from Antarctica and from the Greenland, and they measure all these little bubbles and chemicals in there and can get some temperature readings out of that. But we've had, and, and Chicago and Madison, Wisconsin, and I'm surprised they haven't removed it yet because right across from the state capitol in Madison, there's a really nice plaque that says, you know, where you're standing was under ice by a mile, was a mile and a half under ice 15,000 years ago. So the ice just came down because the earth was so cold and then the ice receded and then the oceans rose. And I mean, all these other facts, you know, the oceans are rising so fast. Well, no, they're really not. I mean, they're rising about an inch a decade for the last uh, since 1880 when we have good records. I mean, it's virtually, you know, that's another thing. We have less hurricanes, not more. They have less intensity, not more. We have less tornadoes, not more. And that all makes sense because more accurately, we have a less cold world, not a hotter world. The, the date, because of the increase, yeah. I would suggest, and Frank's little theory, is because of that cloud cover, and it makes sense, we know we have a little more moisture in the air. And again, that kind of that, their argument of warm air holds more moisture. We have a little more moisture, we have a little more cloud cover, reflects a little more heat during the day. So we have less 90 and 95 and 100 degree days. And we've actually, we do. So my memories from my kid, when in August, we'd have 100 degree days, almost day, day in, day out for the month of August in Wisconsin. We barely break 90 anymore. Barely ever. There's almost never a 100 degree day. And, but our nighttime temperatures aren't as cold and our winters aren't as cold. In a real world, you say that's good. Now, why is that important? Our weather is, is in the violent weather, is when warm air with a lot of moisture in it, it's cold air. And either it swirls or it rains real hard because cold air doesn't hold as much moisture and then it precipitates out, it rains. So if you have less variant, if it's milder, not as hot, not as cold, well, it's not as hot, not as cold. And when those meet, it's not as hot, as hot, as cold. It's, it should be giving us milder weather, which in fact it is. But they're telling us upside down world that it's the opposite. Yeah, so upside down. Uh, and then um, I, I go into, I get really frustrated because 10 years ago I listened to um, Thrive the movie with Proctor Gamble. And he talked about how we already had the technology for free energy in the 1950s. And he shows, you know, several scientists that had created amazing inventions to solve these problems. And, you know, I'm, I still feel that we're raping Mother Earth, no matter how you look at it. We're, we're still using oil, gas, in order to, for certain people to make a lot of money, again, follow the money, why are they covering up or not going toward technology that would supply the whole world with natural free energy? And instead they choose to cover up this technology and 
I listened to, um, I was involved in a, in a conference with Dr. Greer, who has personally known eight scientists that have come up with free energy. And their labs have been broken into, their information stolen, and often their lives have been lost. And that's been over the last 10, 20 years. And he, he is, um, you know, he says it's human nature because scientists will hide their technology in order to also make a lot of money. They feel it needs to be patented and, and therefore it leaves them vulnerable because all you have to do is, is knock them off. But I, I find that the most frustrating conversation to have because I feel that's where we need to go and we need to go there now, not, not hide this technology that's existed for 50 years. And in fact, we've known how to fly UFOs with using the magnetic force of the earth. And it's been proven that there's man-made UFOs. So we have, we know we have the technology, but anyway, that's, that's where I go. And my husband says it's too far down the rabbit hole. Nobody can understand that. And I'm just like, no, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. You know, I, I can't really comment on on that. I've seen some of the same things, and that it could be true. I, and I don't, I can't argue with you on that. I would take a little bit of a, a counterpoint on what you said about raping the earth, and bio. And this is one of those other big misinformations. And I used to give a lot of talks, to, and I'd ask people the question of, you know, wherever you are, right, right here in San Diego or in Green Bay, Wisconsin, or in Montana. Is the air we breathe and the water in the lakes, rivers, and streams where you're at, are they cleaner or dirtier than they were 20 years ago and 50 years ago? And nine out of 10 people would say they're dirtier. And in fact, they're vastly cleaner, vastly cleaner. And that we now have 9 billion people. And, and to kind of do your point about it's kind of all of these kind of evil, certain people get really benefited. And they do. They get, they get really rich. And I mean, there's Bill Gates and there's you know, the big things that we're using, owners of Facebook, Amazon and others. Um, yes, they, they have. But also, you know, this amazing technology. And even with all of the, the kind of the terrible um, holding of the people down in communist China, the, the march of communist China now with 1.4 billion people from most of them being often starving subsistence farmers who now live in, you know, some might say it's a benefit, some might not, but now live in high rises, have cell phones, entertainment, Netflix, and an income that has grown tremendously in just 25 years. I mean, you look at what, what has grown their GDP and personal GDP and personal lifestyle of average Chinese people. And granted, they still have three, 400 million people yet to move out of subsistence farming. I mean, it's hard for the population in the United States. It's hard for us to conceptualize. But where I'm going with this is in absolute numbers, the 8 billion people today, the vast majority of us eat better, live better, are safer, less of us die from the climate and earthquakes and volcanoes, and we have better technology and from diseases. And if we could provide power, because that's another part of this is that in Africa and in parts of Asia where 2 billion people don't have any power and you have a preemie baby, they just die. You need an operation and it's dark. You can't do it by candlelight. You're dead. You know, we can't, they can't, you know, refrigerate vaccines. I mean, there's all these things that if, and if they have energy and a really great um, 
a great movie to watch is Juice. I'd highly recommend it by Robert Bryce. Uh, Juice, it's really great. And it talks about, and one of the vignettes I really remember from that is this Indian woman who was a tailor and had to hand pump, foot pump her, her, um, you know, her, her sewing machine, save a whole year's worth of her income. How long would it take you to save a whole year's worth of your own income? I mean, multi-years. And bought herself an electric, um, electric sewing machine, which could, like quintuple, make five times more uh, work for her. And then she could only use it a day or two a week because her electricity was so spotty. And she was so frustrated because she saved all that money, bought something that could better her life and income, increase her income by five times. I mean, huge, five, five times over. To kind of to your, your little bit of your point of there, there is a plus side to all of this in the energy usage. And had that Indian woman had full-time power, which they're working on in, in India, mainly by coal now, because it's abundant, reliable, affordable, cheap, and they don't use clean coal technology. So if you look at the world map, and I have recently, where's the most polluted places in the world? China, India, and Africa. Europe, uh, all of Europe, the United States, and South America, and a lot of South America gets a lot of power from hydropower because they're well situated with big rivers there. Um, that It's very clean here because you can only afford to really care about your environment when you can afford to care about your environment. If you're subsisting and just, just getting by to get enough to eat every day and sometimes not enough, you don't care about throwing plastic in the river, whatever. It goes away or pooping in the river or whatever. But once you, once you have prosperity like we have and we take it for granted, well, then you want a clean environment. And kind of going back, and I think I mentioned this earlier, um, is that if we could move the 2 billion people who are burning wood and dung and crop waste onto propane, it would help their local environment, both in the air, the air particles would be so much better and cleaner, but it would take a lot of pressure off the wildlife and that whole area of scouring and cutting down trees and burning trees and all that other stuff that wouldn't go on. So, so it's a complicated issue. And, and to your point of, of um, you know, maybe there is something at some point, I know wind and solar are not it, um, and, but we're being forced into that. That's really a bad idea. But, but again, you know, at some point we'll make that leap, provided we continue to make economic progress, scientific progress, and that's dependent upon having uh, enough av available, reliable, affordable energy that really makes the world go round and keeps us well fed. Yeah. I just feel it all comes back to wanting to control humanity because if free energy existed, there would be no, they wouldn't be able to control us and we could live abundant, intelligent may I, may, lives. May I make a comment on that, on free energy, if I may? Sure. Uh, concerning uh, free energy, there is there are two difficulties in this society. First of all, according to Robert Kiyosaki, we have the central bank system. The central bank system is a communist banking system. So we have a banking system which... Can I interrupt you just one second? I'm, I'm on my computer, but I didn't plug it in and I have to get the cord because I'm, I'm going to run out of juice here for a quick interruption. So I'd suggest if you guys just carry on, I'll be off. Screen. No, 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 please. A minute, and then I'll be right back. But no, you, you or, or you can just wait for a, a, a commercial break for like just one minute. I'm going to get it. Okay, go ahead. Right okay. Yeah, um, it is based on communist banking system. And they yeah. say yes or no. 
And the second thing is, yeah. if you have a free energy system, the first thing who is, or the first institutions who are interested in free energy is military. And this could make an exchange in power. This can make a change in power. So for this reason, the secret services get an alarm. And this is the reason why it's so difficult, dangerous well, to establish. I, I think I think that the military are already aware of free energy. Thus, they have, they have flying they objects. Have, they, have, they don't have it. They I think they do. They, they have but, it some, but some not. And if you and if the military, if the military has the possibility to get it, then the the question is, who will get it? And if there's the wrong part, and these are the wrong guys, then the secret service will come. Yeah. So this is very. This is a very dangerous business, and this is the reason. Yeah. This is what I want to tell. There's a lot of dangerous business going on, <laughs> yeah. including who makes yeah. the solar panels, right? Yep. So okay. That's fine. The Chinese make the solar panels. <laughs> yes. Right? So they already control so much of our economy because we've given it away to them. And now they are controlling how much solar we would even get if that's the path we decide to go down. And just, I, 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 I know that free energy in the wrong hands Energy in the wrong hands, period, is trouble, but it's already in the wrong hands. So I think that, like you say, Hartmut, humanity has to raise its consciousness to a point where it can handle this technology and use it intelligently. I, I agree. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. And earlier, right before, right before the um, battery break, um, you had mentioned about control, and um, Greg had cued me up on, on this as well, is that it is about control. It's about money, and it's about controlling all of us because energy is the basis of everything we do. They're working on a carbon credit card, and they have it. It's been invented. So where I, I see them going is, is to give us our carbon allotment for the month. And if you need extra, if you're a business guy or I'm traveling, and this is where they'll appeal to some of the people, Grandma, who never flies, you might might be able to get enough carbon that you could, you know, buy your regular stuff and maybe take a car, uh, a plane flight a year. Well, Grandma never flies, so she can sell her carbon credits for that plane flight to a business guy who has to buy it, and they they can take their cut on that one. Uh, so those who can afford it can kind of ignore it. But for the regular Joe and Jane, you come to the end of the month and you run out of your carbon credit. You can't put gas in your car. You can't buy your beer. You can't buy. Uh, your stake, and you can't buy a plane ticket. And that's one aspect of the control of where they're headed, like they have in China now with their cell phones, which everyone must use, is they have, they they turn it red. You know, they started with COVID, but if they don't want you to travel, they turn it red, you can't. And that's why they want an electric car, because it'll be hooked up to your phone, and then it'll turn it red, and you can't leave in the morning. So, I mean, they, they got control over everything through that. And then right now, you say, well, oh, that's all just conspiracy kind of crazy theory. Um, Oxfordshire in England, a city has, and 80% of the people there don't want it, but their city council, the, the crazy greens, the, the carbon, carbon people, have divided the city into, I think, six or eight different 15, they call them 15-minute neighborhoods. 
but you're only allowed to leave the neighborhood 100 times a year. Now, what happens if your kid like ours lives, goes to school and you want to drive him back and forth to school across the, the line? You're going to use that allotment up of, of you know, <laughs> for, for you know, in no time at all, a month or two. And now you can leave more than that, but you're going to have to buy trip carbon credits. I, I checked it out online, because, but I couldn't find out how much the cost was because you had to put in a license plate number. So they have it set up. It's there. If you, you Google it up and do a little bit of searching, you'll see this. But 80% of the people there don't want this. But they're doing it so that they can make, you know, control your carpet by using your car. Um, and I think London has expanded their no car zone as well, that, that they're just going bigger area that you can't use a car at all. Or you have to pay very high uh, daily fees to be able to drive a car in the no car zone. Um, so th this is where they're heading with this because they don't want the freedom of individuals to make those decisions for themselves. And you, you need to have the overlord tell us what to do, the all, you know, genius government, central planners. And we know historically throughout the world, central planning fails every single time and it makes everyone's lives worse. And, and I can't say that more forcefully. It makes everyone's lives worse. And for those who don't believe me, study it a little bit. But you can look at Venezuela. You can look at Cuba. Um, now, China, you could say, is, you know, a success story of central planning, and sort of it is in a lot of ways, but they also interjected a lot of capitalism, or maybe fascism is a better better way of describing it. That's where the state tells the companies what to do. And um, that's what we have here with ESG and well, corporatism, and it's more of a voluntary uh, fascism of the government and partnership, big business and government to censor us to hide information at the government's behest, which, they, which is now being proven, and Musk taking over and now releasing documentation of Twitter, but it goes far beyond just you know the Hunter Biden story. It goes into the climate stuff, like me being canceled off to LinkedIn because I, I posted something that goes to the heart of the silliness of CO2 being the control knob of the climate. So it is about control, manipulation, and an agenda that they have and the sheeple regular people just you know are, are you know you won't wake up until that water in that pot gets really hot and that means really high energy prices and control yeah that's where it always goes back to isn't it and i mean we talk about china being progressive but if you look at how they control their people you know with qr codes and identity and turning their phones to red it's it's where they want to take us and it's quite frightening yes and, it is yes yeah. yes it is and um you know we we have time yet and you know hopefully and you know having been through the covid thing is a great experiment in that you know and, and if masks worked and you believe they did then wear them why do you have to force them on everybody else if vaccines worked why yeah. do you need to force them on everyone else yeah, but what I mean, and it's sort of it, it fits in with what we're talking about with this climate and this energy, because if wind and solar truly are cheapest, why do we have to subsidize it? Let's stop the subsidies. Let's stop the requirement for it. It's not cheaper. It's more expensive. So, you know, it's upside down world. And I don't know if you watched it, the, the sci fi, very popular TV series of Stranger World, but that's where that comes from or uh is it Stranger? Stranger Things. 
Stranger Things, a very popular TV show, but they they had an upside down world where the evil came out. And, um, you know, it is upside down world. There, there's so much of what they're telling us just isn't true and doesn't work in the real world. But yet we keep marching along. Right. And wouldn't we at least promote and look at some of these inventions that even even running cars on something that doesn't require fuel there's there's been that invention several times anyway i'm going to pass it back to grace you know that that stuff is really neat and it would be really cool to see it and you know one day maybe we will and i just thought and i know know someone who's involved with it a little bit and he has an investor but there's another company and Tesla, who was really a genius, who did a lot of different things with electricity, there, there's a way to, to beam electricity without wires. Mm-hmm. You can that for just a, a little bit. It's, it's kind of kind of a head scratcher, um, but supposedly they have the, the technology to start to do it commercially. And, um, and I think they'll start with kind of larger amounts from here to there, from the power plant to a substation or something. But it really is kind of a, boy, it's really interesting stuff. But you know, going back to that little bit of a vignette about 1906, the Wright brothers, you know, World War II already planes, or World War I was planes, and then people on the moon and hundreds of thousands of plane flights every single day now. It really is amazing what, what we can do, provided we can continue to make economic progress. Yeah. And I agree with Hartmut that this technology needs to be in the right hands. And I, I don't feel the world's being run by the right people right now. So we must, you know, bide our time. But Tesla, the last 10 years of his life was working on free energy. And it's not, the information is just not available. I'm going to pass you back to Grace. Well, this is very interesting and powerful conversation. We have a uh, viewer that's very engaged and she's, he's in agreement with a lot of the things that you and all of you mentioned. Uh, in, like, you know, um, but on the last comment, he was just saying that free energy still would not be free. Lots of costs to get it to the people. However, it could reduce the cost significantly and it would save the planet resources. It would be good for the planet. So I guess, you know, if all of this will be good in terms of that, we don't want to um, interrupt the creativity of the people, but in, for every creativity, we have to really think about what's the effect of it on the general public and who's really benefiting. So if we work on the on a free on call free energy your distribution and then transmission still has a cost to it and then there was a question here earlier to uh, professor lassie that may be important for you to address what is the role of the world economic forum in all of this and the second one why are you not a senator anymore (laughs) oh um the, you know, the World Economic Forum, and you might spend a little time on their website. And I, again, I'll put a plug in. If you are interested in energy and climate topics, they do a really great curated news story of the of the week that I choose. And then I put commentary in there and I highlight and bold important points. So it makes it easy if you want to just skim or, or need a little help focusing on what really is important. Um, but I, I just used one on the World Economic Forum on the, the five benefits of eating insects. Um, so the World Economic Forum has an agenda, and it's about world control, and, and it's about getting all of us to, you know, 
change our habits to a low carbon uh, lifestyle, which doesn't include eating meat and doesn't include a whole lot of other things. And of course, you know, they and the uh, top echelons of government and large corporations and billionaires will, you know, run our lives for us because we're just too stupid to do that. Uh, so the World Economic Forum is just really a, a, a group that, you know, I, I'd suggest that anything that they do, highly suspect. And you probably should be looking the opposite direction from them. And, um, you know, they have a lot of socialists, which are government central planners, and people think that's great. And people often, just as a quick aside, uh, confuse socialism with the welfare state. Interestingly, the Scandinavian countries, in Norway, Sweden, and Denmark, are a welfare capitalist system. They actually score higher than the United States on the capitalism scale, on the ease of doing business, starting a business, running your own life, doing your own things. But they also pay extremely high taxes for very high benefits. And they're now having some problems with a pluralistic society because when it, when it, when 100% of the Danes were Danes, they also had a social agreement that if you can work, you work. And, but you get a lot of benefits and you pay a lot of taxes. But they've let in a whole bunch of new people who are not Danes who say, well, gee, this is fun, free money. I like it. Hmm, give it to me. And I'll have six kids and yeah, well, none of us have to work. Uh, thanks very much. I like it. Well, that works until it doesn't work, until you have too many people being pulled that are pulling. So, um, you know, but that, that they're not socialists. They're capitalists with heavy welfare benefits. Socialism is where the government controls and actually owns the means of production of major things. And fascism is just where they direct it. And we're kind of turning into a fascist state here in America, in my opinion. And energy is the root of all of those sort of things. So World Economic Forum, uh, dangerous, scary stuff they keep fomenting and have been at it for a very long time. They aren't going away anytime soon. And they're connected with the Davos crowd and a whole bunch of other kind of the oligarchs of the world who want to, you know, transition us and reset us, which was all a conspiracy theory just a couple of years ago, by the way. Um, and now it's they're very much out in the open on it. I'm not a senator anymore. I was a state senator. So I was one of the 33 senators who worked in Wisconsin to make Wisconsin a better place. I ran for Congress in 2016. I wanted to go to the United States and, and work on na nation's problems. I didn't win elections. So then I worked as a workers' comp administrator. And then I headed the free market think tank, the Heartland Institute, which got me a lot more uh, acquainted with and familiar, and I'd always been familiar with them, and I'd learned about these issues because they're so important, energy and climate, uh, years ago, but it got me very much involved with that. Now I get to work on and have, you know, some people who are, are helping me to do this, which I really appreciate because energy and climate, climate's being used to drive really bad energy policy, and I, I care about making things better for all of us, um, which we should be doing, and you know, our environment here is to be protected and to be used. I mean, humans have an impact on the environment and, and we should try to have as light a touch as we can and try to leave it as good or better off than it was before. And, and I've seen that in my own lifetime in Green Bay, Wisconsin, there are 26 paper companies in the Fox River and the Bay of Green Bay were really polluted. I mean, badly polluted. And now today it is not, and we've cleaned it up. And those uh, paper companies uh, actually, when they put any water and they put very little water back into the, the rivers anymore at all, is cleaner than the water they took out because they need clean water and the technology and things that we've done. So there, there are solutions, but you have to be able to afford those solutions. And to the, the person's point that had chimed in here is they're absolutely right. The power might be free, kind of like the wind and solar argument. 
well, it's free. You know, breezes and sunshine are free. But the infrastructure and building and mining and producing and making wind towers and solar panels are far from free. And they cost money. And then transmitting that in that uh, electricity um, from wherever it's produced and usually in the countryside to where the people need it, like in Texas, where they spent $10 billion on a pipeline to take West Texas wind and solar to East Texas, where the people live, and now it's full. So they run into times where they overproduce wind and solar, can't come on that pipeline anymore. And now they want to invest another multi-billions of dollars. Who should pay for that? And that all gets built and in, baked into the cost. So yes, there, there may be free technology and like wind and solar, the, the rest of making it or, or a, a, Power, a car powered by free energy, still you have to build the car. It still needs tires. It still needs brakes. So, I mean, there, there's always a cost there as well. Um, or if our house was powered by or kept climate controlled by something that was free, there still has to be something to push it around the house and do all those sort of things. Well, obviously, you have to come back to us again, Dr. Uh, Senator, so that we can continue our conversation. So how can our audience help you and connect with you? Um, our, my, our website, Truth in Energy and Climate, it's on the bottom of, of this, truthinenergyandclimate.com. And there's a weekly email newsletter. You can donate so that we can expand our, our footprint and do more. Love to hire some more people to help spread the world word. I mean, it's just... Um, we're, we're a small company, but we want to spread more information and um, you can get involved. The other thing is educate yourself. I'd highly, my, my challenge to you is to get some education. You can get it off our website and there's some others that are really good. And then talk to people in the middle. It's really important that we help to educate people in the middle because they decide close elections and the people who we elect matter. They really do matter as much as it doesn't always feel that way. And, um, you know, now no one says there's no difference between the two parties, but this rush to, you know, nonsensically try to limit a trace gas that is plant food isn't, isn't a good idea for all of us. And, um, you know, we, we need to be involved and engaged. So truth in energy and climate and um, love to correspond with you. You can reach me through that website and I'm happy to provide more information or answer some questions and, um, you know, keep, keep spreading the word. It's important to talk about it. And again, you're not going to, you know, people who have the, the bought the CO2, anti-CO2 man-made religion, climate crisis religion, you're not going to, you're not going to talk them out of their dogma. Um, but the people who are undecided are kind of go, yeah, we're supposed to, you know, I heard that hurricanes are worse. Well, no, let me tell you, they aren't. And if they're, they're lying to you about that, what else are they lying to you about? Or CO2, you know, what's the most important greenhouse gas? Why is it you don't know about water vapor? Shouldn't you at least know about it? But you, we don't. It's covered up. And in fact, textbooks ignore it. The, 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 the things that they show you, that the atmosphere, they ignore it. And it is the most interesting thing to me. And, and the excuse for ignoring it is near the Antarctica where it's so super cold, there's not much water vapor that can be held in the air there. And then by the tropics where it's 80 um, you can get up to 4% water vapor before it rains out of the, the earth. So because it's so variable, we'll ignore it. Huh? Well, I can tell you from having a tester and, and doing it and knowing CO2 is variable around the earth as well. And it's variable on how high and how low in the atmosphere you go. So under the same guise, you could ignore water, uh, CO2 too? Well, no, you can't. So it's, it's hidden. And that's one of the arguments I have with some of my um, 
allies in this because we don't make, emphasize enough the fact that water vapor is the most important greenhouse gas. And, and if you don't know that, and they don't know that, and that's also how you can always get the you know the people who have joined the the green religion. You know, do, do they even know that? Do they even know how much water or CO2 is in the atmosphere? They have no clue. They don't know any of the facts. They just take it on faith. That's why it's a religion. Thank you again. And amazing conversation. And uh, so, yes, please share, share, donate, subscribe to all the different uh, podcasters here and donate and especially to our guests as well. And you have a blessed day. Thank you all. And thank you. Have a fantastic day.